All right, guys, welcome in. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. Uh, wherever you may be listening today, we thank you for being with us. We are uh, in the Wednesday Bible study. We are going through a book called Finishing Strong uh, by Steve Farrar. Uh, if you are joining us or you've just started listening to us and you'd like to go back and hear some other Bible studies that we have done, the best way to go find the most archives is to go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Media. You'll see uh, the men's Bible study listed there, and you can walk back through all those audio clips. Now, if you want to watch on YouTube, there there are some some that go back, but not as far back because we didn't start doing that to a few studies ago. Uh, and, of course, the Rick and Bubba podcast channel always has the weekly ones that have been published there as well. Uh, you can also follow uh, on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the Rick and Bubba show on Twitter, the Rick and Bubba Facebook page. So, we want to have this Bible study set up that the only way that you're not able to hear it or watch it is if you just don't want to. Uh, so, and what usually happens is it's posted by about two o'clock central time every Wednesday and then stays there indefinitely. Uh, so let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer and jump into today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity and the freedom in this country to talk about the things we're going to talk about today. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to refine us into the men that only you can make us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And certainly I know, women, you're listening as well, some of you. Now, we're going to take on something. I want to be clear again on what this series is about because I have talked to some people that are a little bit confused about what we mean by finishing strong and finishing well. I don't want you to get in your mind that this is a Bible study that's only dealing with as we age. That, that's not what this is about. What it's really talking about, certainly that's part of it, but what it's about, let's say, did I finish my 20s well? Did I finish my single life well? Am I finishing, my, you know, my, is my marriage, am I improving on that, or am I going to have some moral failure in my marriage? Will, will I succeed in my marriage under the authority of Christ? Is my walk with Jesus Christ continuing in the right direction as it continues to get stronger without me falling away? Um, so th- it's not just about, Hey, I started out young, and when I and when I died or when I got old, uh, I didn't do anything that compromised my faith. It's talking about every stage of life, us finishing that without any sort of compromise that would embarrass or be in conflict with what we claim claim to believe. And today, we're going to talk about one of these areas that seem to always be a problem, uh, and that is when we find ourselves being deemed successful or our pursuit of success. Now, is there anything wrong? With the pursuit of success, not, not in and of itself, no. But there's all kinds of problems that come with success because there's something always uh, you know, alluring about success that seems to start taking us into a situation of pride, which we'll talk about today, uh, uh, self-dependence. I don't really, you know, when Jesus talked about how difficult it was for wealthy people, we would probably call that successful people because we, we always equate that with success, and we'll talk about that today. He didn't say that wealth was bad or sinful in and of itself, as we've talked about. He just said these people that experience this kind of wealth or success have a difficult time submitting to my authority and being broken and weak enough to actually depend on me. They get to the point where they're more dependent on themselves. They don't know what they need. Why do I need Jesus? He says, so that's why it's difficult for these people. I love this about talking about self-awareness, the the, the quote from Thomas Carlyle that starts chapter 5, the status brothers and their not quite rich first cousin pride are quite right. First cousin pride is the name of the chapter, which is funny from Steve Farrar and Thomas Carlyle said the greatest fault 
is to be conscious of none. You know these people? The greatest fault is to be conscious of none. And so he begins to talk a little bit about the world's definition versus his Jesus's call on his disciple. Here's a definition of success. Success is attaining cultural goals that are sure to elevate one's perceived importance in that culture. Now, the key word here is notice that, that what we we're learning is perceived importance. That doesn't mean it's real. People say perception is reality. It may be, but it not, 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 not to God it's not. Okay, so he says that you're perceived that somehow you're important in your culture, and so you consider yourself to be successful because I'm important. Uh, it, but see, success doesn't elevate your importance at all. It may elevate your perceived importance. He says, you know, the world elevates successful people in one of three areas. So remember, just because you think success elevates your importance doesn't mean it really does. Not by God's standards. As a matter of fact, the way we look at things are actually in conflict with that. Because here's it. He says there's three areas in our culture that we deem people to be successful. He's successful because he's powerful. And we'll get into that day with Uzziah. Um, he, he's powerful. We think powerful people are successful because why? They have people that follow what they say. <coughs> you know, you remember he talked about one of the, some of the examples of that. You know, people think they're successful if you walk into a place and say, hey, I want this done, and people do it. He said, well, that person must be successful. Powerful. He said, they, 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 are, they are also given what? Privileges. That's number two. Oh, if you're privileged, then you're successful. If we see people giving you special rights or special favors, then we think that you must be successful. And, you know, this was talked about in the book of James when he says, you know, the wealthy people in here think that somehow they should have the best seats here when they come into church because of their wealth. They have a privilege. He talked about the time, remember, when they accidentally had uh, messed up his room and they upgraded him to a presidential suite. And he said, man, it felt good because I'd been shown privilege. I've been given special treatment. And we all like special treatment. I mean, we'd be lying if we said we don't like special treatment. I, we, we do that. We, I talk about this all the time. When I first started in radio, I found out, because this, it's not this way anymore, people would call me for tickets to fill in the blank. And these a lot of times would be people that had no issue of getting tickets. They had no issue buying tickets. They didn't need any help financially. They wanted to say they got their ticket in a special way. I, I knew the radio guy, so I called the radio guy, and he got me a ticket. And, oh, by the way, we get to meet the band. I got a backstage pass. Now, this person probably could have done this, got tickets and whatever, just by simply going and buying them. And it's not that they can't do it. They wanted to say they got it in a special way. I was showed some privilege. I got connections. And so what we think is these people, gosh, they must be successful. Look, they have connections. And, of course, the other one, which our country just loves, wealth. Oh, if you're wealthy. Oh, if you're wealthy. If you're wealthy, you're successful. I mean, that's, there's no greater indication of your wealth and your big house, and your really cool car. Oh, I noticed the brand of that car. It must be successful. And a lot of times what you don't know in our culture is most of these people, and Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot, are in dire debt, and it's all going to collapse on them because they know that you define these things as successful, so they're pretending to be successful when really they're not. I, I'm going to tell you something. I know some guys that will get up today, and they will not get out of their overalls till they go to bed tonight and they got more folding money than somebody who's got a house that looks good and a car that looks good who is broke. Now, they got all the status symbols, but they're nowhere near as wealthy as far as currency 
than this guy who's really unassuming but is taking care of his money and has managed his money well. He didn't have any status symbols. He drives a simple truck. He wears simple clothes. He got a simple house. His house is not trash, but it's simple. You know, he's got a little land. You know, usually an indicator is if that if that little simple house is sitting on hundreds and hundreds of acres of land. You know what I mean? You, you may be thinking about that your big house is sitting on a half acre. He's probably got more money than you do. But but anyway, but these are status symbols, right? So in America, that's what, what we look at in a lot of cultures, but in ours as well. But here's what Farrar warns us against, which is so important. We must be careful buying into the world's definition that success means elevation of status, we must even take our success and we must filter it through the grid of Scripture. We as followers of Jesus are never supposed to let the world define things and us go along with the world standard of anything. So even when it comes to success, what does the Bible say success is. What does, one, you know, it was one of the things that I always talked about, and I, I talk about this a lot of times with coaching, especially with males, is males, like, they struggle with the word meek, which is a, was what we're called to, that we're to be meek, because the world says, oh, meek means weak, but it doesn't. Well, you know, I, I, is anybody prepared to say that Jesus Christ was weak? Anybody to say that there was something weak and pitiful about him? No. But what, what meek, meekness truly is, and, and if we would teach our sons this, and, and our daughters too, but I'm talking about a lot of times this is a male problem, meekness means that I am powerful, but I keep it under control. I, I'm like a horse is powerful. It's like Jesus has that bridle on us, and, and we're powerful, we're strong, we may have gifts, we may have talents, but, but we let it out at the perfect time and the right amount and we never lose control, become tyrannical. We never go after people, try to destroy people. But when there's time to make a stand, we do. So it's strength under control. It's not weak. He says, see, my people are, have, have incredible strength, but they're under control. They're under my authority. And so then he gives us into this example of Uzziah the king. And boy, Uzziah, there's, you know, we start out with Uzziah and we kind of get all fired up about him and, and all that's going on with him. Uh, because he starts out great. Boy, we're going we're to see a lot of these people, aren't we? So, so when you look at Uzziah's roots, and this is going to be coming out of Second Chronicles uh, in, verse, in chapter 26. We talk about Uzziah. If you want to keep up with that and go back and look at some of the scriptures, we'll go over. But So he was, he was incredible in the beginning. He's a great young man. Uh, you know, he, he said, he, really, he said, if Uzziah was in your church, you would, he would be the young man. You say, this is the guy. He may rise up one day to be the, the pastor of this whole thing. He, he's, if he, he was a young man, you'd say he's definitely the leader of our youth group. There's no question about that. If there, if there is a, a, a young man to look at that is the standard we want everybody to be, it would be young Uzziah. And you just see this over and over again. Uh, as a matter of fact, he also had what we love. What's that? He had an impressive resume. We all like that. So listen to how Uzziah started. He, he, uh, he was 16 years old when he became king. Uh, he reigned uh, 52 years in Jerusalem, and, uh, and it tells us all about that. And um, he came in there after his father. Now, he is one of the great grandsons of Solomon. Uh, and, this, and how many times do we see this when we go through the Kings and Chronicles and First and Second Kings? And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had an understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Don't miss this. As long as he sought the Lord, 
God prospered him. So here's a guy who believed everything God said at a, at a young time in his life. I can relate to that. Uh, he sought God. He won a relationship with God. He talked to the Lord. He did his best to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Um, we certainly know that you know there's, there's some tough teenage years, but young Uzziah hung in there. He got off on the right foot. His priorities set correctly from day one. He was a very fortunate young man. And uh, as he talked about today, we would look at him and say, that is a young man that is living out the example that all young men should follow. And that's true. So, but we also know that in Second uh, Chronicles 26, King Uzziah gives his impressive resume. Now, I don't know if we want to get done in an hour. It's such a long resume. I don't know that I can read all of it to you. But uh, bottom line is, uh, and you can, you can look at this in uh, Chronicles 26, but it tells you every he went out and he uh, w- w- waged war against the Philistines. He brought brought down the wall of Gath uh, and the wall of these different places. Uh, he built cities, and it just goes on and on and on. All the things that he did, his army was huge. They were ready to be called into action any time. At one point, the elite part of his army was over three hundred thousand. Uh, he he built all the the best equipment for his uh, for his military. He had the best of the best. And his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped. And then here comes the big until in verse 15. So all this I just gave you uh, goes um, uh, starts in verse 6. But in 15, here comes a word. Everything's going great. He's doing everything the way it should be done. He's being blessed. He's being prospered. He's been giving victory. He's devoted to the Lord until. Boy, those untils are if, but, however, until he was strong. Hmm. That's, that's, that's an interesting statement, and until he was strong. Notice, notice the word until there. So his fame spread afar, but his fame also became his hinge, became his problem. Hence, his fame spread afar was... He was marvelously helped until, until he was strong. Until what? Well, look at verse 16. If you have your Bible, go to verse 16 in Chronicles 26, and then we'll go back and kind of unpack it a little bit. So it says, until he was strong, look at 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. So the key in 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. So what happened? Three things happened here. Why was he unfaithful to it, to the Lord now? Number one, he began to focus more time and attention on the external rather than the eternal. He became victim of the barrenness of a busy life. He had so much going on, and it was all going so well and I, I, I told you this before, but it fits so good with this again. One, one of those moments when God put an older man in my life of great respect and great wisdom, and I was rattling on and on and on about when I first started getting into speaking and teaching, and I was so excited, I had so much fervor, and I was, yes, and I'll be there, and I can't wait, and I'm traveling here, and I'm going, and I can't wait to be there. And this man looked at me, and he said, I, this has been a great conversation, but i got to give you one piece of advice. You need to pray more and speak less. And, I, and then I was like, sir, he said, here's why. God's given you some gifts. 
He's giving you some platform. He's giving you some influence. But what's going to happen is you're going to become so consumed and so busy with all these incredible opportunities and all these accolades and all these things people want you to do that you're going to stop spending time with the Lord. Sound familiar? You're going to stop spending time with the Lord, and you're going to start going to these events, going to these classes, going to these places, doing these interviews, and you're going to start leaning on the gifts God gave you as opposed to leaning on Him. And you will be able to pull it off, and before long, you'll cease being effective, and it'll all start being about you and how good you can do fill in the blank. So you need to turn down all these opportunities because, he, you know, look, Francis Chan is going through that in his life right now. He was a guy that got elevated. And I'm not saying he's had some moral failure, but what I'm saying is he himself has admitted that he got pushed into the limelight so fast until he gets to a point, it was a very humble thing to say, he said, I'm at this conference with these great theologians, and suddenly they kick over to me, hey, get up and discuss, I forget what it was, he goes, and I didn't know what they were talking about. He said, it was terribly embarrassing. And I'm like going up to the stage now, and here's all these men that are, you know, far advanced than I am on, th- on theology and depth of bi- biblical understanding. They've thrown a word at me to talk about, and I don't even know what it is. He said, it was terribly embarrassing. And it didn't take long for them to realize that I was just trying to pull it off. I didn't know what I was talking about. So, see, we can push people too quick. And, and we, we talk, and, you know, we've talked about that before. And then there's people who've had a fall, and then they want to get back too quick. And many times, the, and Sherry and I talked about this yesterday, and she tells me this all the time, do not neglect to continue to spend time alone with the Lord. Don't ever get your schedule so busy that that's gone. You know, and, and this is something that God showed me, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to stick with it, and I've had other men that say it helped them too. Picture a circle in your mind. This is important. Picture a circle in your mind, and that circle is a certain size, okay? Whatever that, so you have to come up with your own size based on your age and what's going on, where that circle is the size that your wife is not neglected if you have one. If you don't have one, your time with the Lord is not neglected. That'll be in there. Your children are not neglected (coughs) because we have a responsibility to them. Your time with the Lord is not neglected. Your time of prayer is not neglected, and you're able to manage your work Manage the things outside of work. Manage your maybe hobbies, but most importantly, your relationship with Christ, your relationship with your wife, relationship with your children. And if you're a single person, then remove the wife and children and keep the rest of it in there. And you say, if I do anything more than what I'm doing inside this circle, something in here is going to be neglected. And you refuse to let anything come in that circle and make that circle bigger. And I had to learn that. I had to learn the word no. And I had to learn it because I said, I will not grow the circle. So if somebody comes up and says, we think that you should do blah, 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 blah. Well, I won't go, okay, let me add that to the pile. And then the circle goes, and it stretches out. I say, let me look in the circle and something's got to go. For instance, I will not coach lacrosse after this year. No way. I love my son. I love spending time with him. I love being part of this. And I love these other guys. But when my son graduates from Broadwood Christian School, I won't be back at Broadwood Christian School ever again. You know, unless it's some kind of going back for some kind of reunion or whatever, I'd be happy to do that because I don't, I can't, I'm not going to spend time with Briarwood anymore after all my kids are gone because I've got other things that I do feel like called I need to do. So I'm going to take Briarwood commitments out and I'm going to put that in. I'm not going to shove it in there and leave Briarwood commitments still in there. 
you know, I've loved my time with that. It's been well served, but it's almost over. So something else I can't do right now, I'll do that. Men's ministry. I've been working with the youth ministry, and I love our youth ministry, and I've enjoyed being part of that. But this men's ministry thing is beginning to grow and going out nationally. So at the end of this year, I'm not going to teach the youth anymore. I love them, and I've spent great time with them, but I don't have time to do that and men's ministry. One of the two is going to get neglected, and my call is to men's ministry. Now, that doesn't mean I'll never speak to a youth conference or I'll never spend time with the youth, but I'm not going to have that commitment anymore preparing for that when I need to be preparing for the men's ministry because if I keep that in there, it's getting where the men's ministry is growing so much that I can't do both, so I have to prioritize. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. You don't get yourself so busy and so strung out and so frayed at the edges that you're not committed to the things that grow you as a man of God. And you're neglecting your wife and you're neglecting your children or neglecting the things spiritual in your life. He said, I love this. He said, Every, we get so focused on making it, succeeding, and get ahead. And this is, this is what we all have to watch out for. Who we are. What a great statement. This is a write down. You ready? Who we are is much more important than what we accomplish. Who we are is much more important than what we accomplish. And if you're not working on who you are and you accomplish great things, it's not going to mean much. And this is the next thing he said, and this is how he summed it up, what happened to Uzziah. What a great line this is. And, man, I have taken this this week and really pondered this in my heart and examined it. Uzziah's character did not keep pace with his accomplishments. He was getting more and more accomplished, but his character stalled. So for a time, his accomplishments and his character were running side by side, which is what we shoot for. As my accomplishments grow, my character is growing with it. So when I am given more responsibility, I've got the character to do it right. What happened is character for Uzziah stopped at about 50, and accomplishments went 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 100, and it's like this. And so now he's accomplished a lot, but his character hasn't grown. And now he's set up for this big fall that's coming. I love that line. <coughs> we talk about this a lot. Don't be caught up in the world's definition of success. When was the last time he talked about this? And you can tell this is books a little bit dated because he's talking about the importance of Time Magazine. Anybody here care about Time Magazine anymore? <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm talking about somebody's like, where's that on the Internet? But anyway, so Time Magazine would what, put important people on the cover. He said, when was the last time that Time Magazine ever put a successful husband or successful dad on the cover? You, you got to follow this guy. You know, why is he on the cover time? He's a successful husband. Why is this guy on the cover time? He's a successful dad. Oh, there's no better dad than this guy. He did it all right. But we do see what? Successful businessman. We see what? Successful celebrity, successful entertainer, successful coach. I, I think it's so sad sometimes that people in our culture, especially where we live, they get more moved and they get bigger chills on a speech from a football coach than they do reading Romans chapter 8. Biblical truth in these great people of the Bible and God speaking his word does not impact them the way some coach speech does. And you know what that tells you, if that's you? Either A, you don't know the Bible very well, because I don't know how you would ever compare the two. 
And I love a good coach speech too, but I don't love it more in Scripture. Matter of fact, I've gotten now as I've gotten older, some of these coach speeches I thought were so great, I've listened to them and they actually sound kind of stupid. <laughs> because I realize biblically they're not even correct on what they're saying. You know what I mean? Have you ever been to that where a football coach tries to awkwardly tie Scripture to a football coach speech and it doesn't really work? And so, and I'm not saying there's not some great godly men who are coaches. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about our priority, priorities is uh, it's either that or the coach means too much to you or that game means too much to you. If you'd rather hear a coach give a speech than the Apostle Paul, there's something wrong with that. You know, if the Gospel of John doesn't move you as much as some coaching video, or some, you know, I remember what was this thing that came on, Last Chance You? What an embarrassment. What a terrible embarrassment. I, I mean, I, I remember going to watch that because I love that kind of stuff, and I was like, who is this guy? This guy's awful. And then you remember the second season came back, and you thought he was going to get better. Like he said, I got to watch myself. What would we all change if we could watch ourselves? Which I thought was a great point. And then he was just as bad again. <laughs> I mean, he might have been worse. He didn't learn. And so we're supposed to hold this guy some high regard because he won a bunch of championships at a junior college? But, 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 but he's a foul mouth, you know, uh, uh, egomaniac. But yet some of us would rather hear, if I told you he was speaking today, you would rush to it. But if I told you that we had, you know, say for instance, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to see Ed Litton this weekend. I'm doing an event for him Sunday night. What if I said, hey, Ed Litton, who's a pastor that we all greatly respect, and he's spoken to man church, he's speaking at a luncheon today, you, and you had to pick between the coach and him, you'd probably pick the coach. And the coach wouldn't give you anything as much as Ed Litton would give you. I assure you. So that, that's how, we, how we, we, we give this elevation to certain things that we really shouldn't because that's not what the Bible gives elevation to. And then he talks about character. Is, this is so good about how the character didn't keep pace with his accomplishment. Listen to this great life truth. Thank you, Steve Farrar, for this. Character isn't something you mandate. It's something you model. You can demand character of people that you're in, in leadership over, demand character of your children, demand character of your employees, demand character of your players, but you cannot demand character that you have not implemented and modeled for them. You can't. Because you know why? I know y'all. he's going to do it again. He's going to say it again. It's so true, though. Guys, if there's one thing that the Bible has taught me in the last 10 years of my life is we may not always live out what we profess. That's possible. I can say one thing to another. People do it all the time. I've done it. But it's impossible for me to believe one thing and live another. I live the truth. What I prioritize and what I live is the real truth. And we talk about this all the time. So if you're telling your kid, let me tell you something. I better not ever see you again fudging on your test. That's, that's not character. But then we fudge on our taxes. And he hears dad talking about it. You know, I told so-and-so, you know, I put that down as a business expense. And then the very same child that's been told not to cheat on a test because that lacks character watches their dad cheat on his taxes, which also lacks character. So now you're saying, well, I want you to have character. You can't just mandate it. It has to be modeled. So what we live is the truth about us. And if you don't think kids see that, they make can see it better than anybody. <clears throat> one of the saddest things I ever had was a kid told me one time that their daddy was evil. And I didn't know that. I was talking about that. I was, what are you talking about? And then I won't say, but they said that 
you know, that their dad did things that I saw doing. And I, he said, but when he, when, when my dad gets out of your sight, let me tell you what happens. That's all the show he's putting on. And his kid knew it. Of course, no, 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 no surprise. That dad is no longer in a relationship with that kid. But, but what it was is daddy was putting on a show so good. I believed it. And the kid says to me, don't compliment my dad. My dad's evil. That's all the show. And you know what? I've had men before say this to me. I don't feel like my, my wife respects me. Now, sometimes they'll say, love me. And then when I get down to it, I realize that in Ephesians, that when God says for wives to respect their husband, that's because how we, we interpret love that way, whether y'all know that or not. And ladies, if you're listening, know that. Women need to be loved. Men need to be respected. That's out of the Bible. And, and of course, I've seen uh, Danny do this before, and, and I talk about a lot that circle that it's calling for in marriage is husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husband. Women, women respect a husband who loves them, and men love a wife who respects them, and here it goes. You know, that's the way it's supposed to work. We, we interpret love differently. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. But a lot of times we have to ask ourselves a tough question. Could it be that our wives don't respect us because they know us? Could it be that? Now, sometimes a woman is being rebellious and she's mistreating her husband. That certainly happens, sadly. And my wife will tell you that's part of the fall. Every woman, when, when they're in sin, they want to to take their husband and move him out of a place of authority and put themselves there. My wife's open about that, talks to women about that, and certainly sometimes that's the case. But a woman under the authority of the Lord really would prefer her husband to love her as Christ loved the church, and then she'll respect her husband. There's many times that a man is not respected is because the person who's supposed to respect them knows them, and they're not worthy of respect. So it's not something that can be mandated. Respect can't be mandated. Character can't be mandated. Character has to be modeled, which garners respect and also gives an example of character. I cannot expect something out of my kids that doesn't exist in my own heart. I cannot expect something out of my family or my kids that doesn't exist in my own heart. So, so that, that's where the rubber meets the road. I remember one of the things I was taught, and I hope I'll help some of the younger guys that may be listening to this or may be in the room. When I first became a follower of Jesus Christ in this, this part, I didn't really know much. I knew that I'd been changed. I knew that Sherry and I, our marriage had been anointed. I knew that this was a new beginning, and we were in church, and we were there, and now I, I was going to find out what it was like to be involved in God's church, and I was excited about that. But because I worked early, and this is when all the kids were little, I would sleep the latest on Sunday. And you say, well, that's reasonable. And I'm not saying it wasn't. And so Sherry would get up, and she would get everything rolling. I would finally sleep the last minute, get in the shower, and then I would come out, grab whatever breakfast was there, and get my Bible and say, let's, let's go to the car. And God got just so convicted me, your children are not buying it. And I remember thinking, why, why am I feeling weird about this? What, what's the big deal about this? Sherry's not mad about it. What's the big deal? And what God was teaching me is the man's influence in that house as a spiritual leader, which I was not yet. Sherry was a spiritual leader because I I had not got to that place yet. But this was a good step in that direction. They think you're going to church to keep mama happy. They don't think it's a priority to you. I mean, they don't even see you until you're going out the door. The first person keeps walking in their room saying we're going to church is their mama, your wife. It's not you. And you know what? Kids expect their mamas to care about things like church. But if you really want them to think this is abnormal, 
You be the first person at the door. You wake them up. Let your wife sleep. You fix the coffee. I don't attempt dressing them when they were younger because that was more to be. I, that happened one time, and it would never happen again. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. But the first face they start seeing on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, was their daddy. This is your dad. Let's get up. Let's start getting ourselves ready. We're going to the house of the Lord, and we're going to worship. Change the whole dynamic. So dad's buying in on this? So this isn't something mama came up with, with that dad's begrudgingly going along with? No. It must be priority. Men and women are equal. Husbands and wives are equal, but they're not the same. And, and this is exactly what we're talking about. Don't ask our kids to buy into something they don't think we're buying into. Second, uh, the third thing that happened to Uzziah, he was tripped up by his own success. How many times have we been upset with the Lord because we don't think he's made us successful enough? See, Uzziah had more success than he could handle. He couldn't handle it. I look back many times, and I, I think this is going to be confirmed. I don't know that God gives us these kind of answers. I think Adrian Rogers was right when he said, I'm not sure that the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Great I Am, the beginning of everything, is going to do a Q&A with us in heaven. <laughs> well, so glad you guys got here. There's probably a lot of things you all want to ask me. You know, he said, we may spend the first 100 years just crying holy on our face. You know what I mean? But God has, has all but confirmed. I used to be really bitter. Matter of fact, it led to me, part of me, drifting away from the faith and not continuing to, to be sanctified or justified. And, and part of it was I was mad because I ended up going to a smaller school for football. I thought I was one of the best recruits in the state, uh, arrogant 18-year-old, and I thought I, I should be one of the elite players out of the state. And when that kind of fell apart and had an injury and all that, I, a lot of times I'd look back, and I have to admit, even when my older sons began to play for Auburn, which is where my dad played and and I had a chance to go, thought to go play there or Tennessee or Mississippi State. And I wanted to go to Auburn, and, and that didn't work out. And I won't get into all that uh, because I, you know, we've, I've forgiven some of the things and maybe didn't understand some of the things that happened because I think this is probably more true than the way anybody treated you or whatever, was that God knew I couldn't handle it. You know, I mean, I, I remember, you know, sitting there and going, man, what did, I, you know, I, this, here's my dad talking to my, to my son about, man, what about this experience? And I'm just over here like, I, did, I didn't experience that. You know, and I ended up leaving football, didn't even finish, and all that over being bitter about it. But what I think the problem was, and Sherry and I have talked about this, what are the things that God kept me from? Because I got news for you. If you think I could handle that platform, now if I was going to go and do press conferences and talk about how great Jesus was, but that wasn't going to happen. What was going to happen is the things I did at Troy would have been tenfold with that kind of platform. So really what God said is, I'm not sending you there because you can't handle it. And I'm certainly not going to continue this football road because you're not, this is not committed to me. So, you, so I ain't going to let you have it. And see, so don't ever forget, sometimes you're not successful or you're not where you are or you don't have a bigger platform because God knows he can't trust you with it. Amen. And, so, and so sometimes you need to be thankful that he hasn't <laughs> given you something that you can't handle yet. He said, you don't know how many times God is being gracious by not allowing you to be out speaking on his behalf just yet. Think about that. Think about even in the Bible. Think about, think about Peter before Pentecost. Different animal after Pentecost, like we said. He's telling everybody he completely understands why Jesus is here. And he says, my father has revealed that to you, so you know that I'm going to die. And then Peter pulls him off the side and says, what's all this crazy talk about dying? 
I'm not going to let that happen. So what does Jesus say? Don't go tell anybody what you said. Peter was not ready to be given the platform because he didn't have it right. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He had a partial understanding, but he was going to be dangerous. You ever wondered about that, why Jesus said for him not to go say what we thought he got right? But you got to read on. He doesn't get the crucifixion right. So Jesus says, hey, don't go tell people who I am because you don't understand it. Now, when Pentecost came, you may have the floor now. Now you got it. So you, his, there's grace in how, how, how God allows us what he would like for us to have on his timeline if we're willing to be ready to be given that kind of responsibility. When you're given responsibility, it's a test. It's a test. Now, see, God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. And Uzziah is going to fail. And so many people do. Uh, I talked about the time that, um, about, did you read the thing in there about where the father who said he wanted his kids so bad to see this waterfall that he was willing to put them at risk and how bad he felt about it? He was so thankful later that the kids didn't fall, but they could have. And he said, I was so obsessed with them seeing this waterfall, I was willing to risk their lives to see it. Waterfall ain't that important. That's what we do with success. I'm willing, I'm so willing to be successful, I'll destroy my children, I'll put them at risk, I'll put my marriage at risk, I'll put my faith at risk. Whatever has to be put at risk for me to be successful, I'll do it. And that is exactly the wrong thing to do. It's not, nothing's worth that. Warren Worsby said, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something to my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements, and that will always be the way to ruin. Say that again. If God puts something in my hand without first doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements, which is what happened to Uzziah and happens to so many, and that's always the way to ruin. So let's look at, at verse 16 what happened after the until in Second Chronicles 26. So we go to 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar of incense. So here, here's what we find now, if you don't understand really what's going on here. He, he was so proud that, that now being king was not enough. I'm going to be king and I'm going to be priest. But God has not, had not said you could be king and priest. You can be king, they will be priest, and they will burn incense in, in, to the, at the altar in the temple. You, that's, not, that's not in the responsibilities of the king, but he won't do both because now he becomes so proud, so famous, certainly, what, why can't I burn the incense? I'm, you not heard about my fame and all the things I've accomplished, but this was in violation to the Lord, meaning I'm now not walking with the Lord enough to know I shouldn't be doing this. I'm now coming with my own rules. I love when he says he must have ignored the instruction of his great-grandfather Solomon who wrote in Proverbs. Have you ever had this wrong, by the way? How many of you say that pride comes before the fall? That's incorrect. That's not what the Bible says. Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. And a haughty spirit comes before a fall. And Uzziah had ignored the very thing that his great-grandfather had said. This is all about pride. Oh, here we go to pride. Pride is so subtle that we usually don't recognize it. Just, hey, let's get real for a minute. Rick Burgess, uh, hey, let me tell you something. I struggle with pride. The, the, now, again, the right kind of pride is I'm proud of my son. I'm proud of my wife. 
man, I'm, 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 that's, 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 not, that's not wrong. But saying, here's what's the wrong kind of pride. I have to be the best. I got to be, I got to be recognized. Why am I not being recognized? I got to be number one. And I can tell you, I, there's been times that I've seen people talking about something that I knew I was part of, and I found myself going, why are they not mentioning me? Why don't I get a mention? Now, how silly is that? But it's happened. Well, you know, he got that from me. You know, and then my wife will say, probably from the Bible. Probably from the Bible. You know what I mean? Just because you said it one time, you got it from the Bible too. Probably not from you. He's just saying the same thing you saw in the Bible. There could be some parallel spiritualism here. You know what I mean? And, uh, oh gosh, you got that out of the Bible study. You know, no, probably from the Bible. You know what I mean? So, so anyway, so, you know, but I got, hey, I got to be number one. I, I got to be, I got to be it. I remember when I said this, when we did Stadium Fest three years, and we wanted to do an event where you could come and hear bands, hear speakers, and we didn't, we didn't think anybody, there's nothing wrong with events that are spiritual that people sell tickets to. I'm not saying that. We felt like, for those of us that didn't do this for a living, we should go find the money. And if you want to come hear this and see this, now we're going to pay the bands. We're going to pay the speakers. We're going to pay for the staging. We're not asking somebody to donate it, but we're going to raise the money to pay for it. I remember saying, and one of the things I was asked about, I said, can I tell you the biggest miracle I saw at the stadium fest? Certainly people came to know Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. That's number one. But you know what might have been the biggest miracle? is we had over 100 churches of different denominations work together on that event, and nobody got credit for it. That's the first thing we said first up. By the way, we need you, but you're not going to get credit for it. So whose event is this? Nobody's. The Lord's. Not one church's name is going to be on here saying you're presenting this. And a lot of times it would be like, hmm, let me, let, me, let me pray about that. Because why? <laughs> why? But because you want to say what? Hey, this was our event. Any success you heard about this got to be tied to our church. Is our name, where's our logo going to be? No logos. You can help, you can give us volunteers, you can raise money, but nobody's going to get credit for it. And to credit, we had over 100 churches that worked together and did that, which might have been the greatest miracle. But pride, so C.S. Lewis, if, you, if, if you've read Mere Christianity, raise your hand if you have. Okay, we, we all need to. Uh, if you've read the chapter that he has on pride, he refers to pride as the world's greatest sin. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's a big d- discussion. The world's greatest sin. Why? Because pride led to the fall. You say, what do you mean? Well, what, what did Satan sell them on? God won't, 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 is holding something from you. He's afraid you're going to be like him. The, God doesn't have what's best for you. He's trying to rule over you, and he's afraid you'll be like him. Right? So, so it all started with pride. So pride is part of the fall. It's absolutely part, like I talked about, Sherry said, part of the fall with, with women is that they want to be in charge, and part of the fall of men is they're willing to let them. <laughs> I mean, you, you realize how many times, that, that, you, know, you know the biggest compliment we get on what we're doing with men's ministry now that we got something going where discipleship is really rolling? You know what the, big, the biggest compliment I get? Wives, thank you all for this. I'm so glad something, it has changed my husband. So a lot of them don't want to be in charge. They just don't have a choice. And, and so, so anyway, so he says, we talk about pride, the world's greatest sin. I love how C.S. Lewis ends, ends the chapter on pride. If you've read this chapter and you're convinced that this does not apply to you, then it certainly does apply to you. <laughs> to think you don't struggle with pride is the proudest thing to say. Uzziah would have read the chapter and said, I'm glad I don't struggle with that. 
Have you ever noticed how pompous we are and vocal we are about sins we don't think we struggle with? But now you start getting the things that we struggle with and we don't talk a lot about it. You know, somebody, I'll tell you what I don't like is them homosexuals. Well, that's easy to say if you don't struggle with homosexuality. That's real easy to say. But what if we talked about pride today? I don't like prideful people. Well, I don't like those homosexuals. <laughs> don't like, hey man, people shouldn't be getting drunk from a person who's never drank. You know, for a person who's never struggled, that didn't struggle for you. But the question is, are you ready to be vocal in your own life? And am I ready to be vocal about, in my own life, the things I do struggle with? Or am I just always going to talk about the things that, you know, that's no big sacrifice for you not to do something you never have a desire for. You know, to be changed is to be radically changed. You know, don't you ever tell somebody who may struggle with homosexual sin, and suddenly you're going to talk about how awful that is, which is, it is sin. But at the same time, you're over there looking at porn on your computer, or you're flirting with a secretary over at the office, or you're, or you're sitting there uh, acting like you're looking at Fox News stories, and you're looking at all the banner stuff at the bottom that's got half-clad women on it, which, by the way, I'm getting to the point where I don't even want to download their stuff anymore. I have to go in here and cut things off of it trying to look at news stories when all these little things are all around it of half-naked women and, you know, giving soft porn. I got news for you. If you are being sexually active in your heart or with your body with anybody other than a, a wife, you're as big a sinner as any homosexual. At least I've met a man who struggles with homosexuality that said, I will never compromise my sexual purity I will never do it. I struggle with it. I don't know why I struggle with it. He said, but I have told the Lord. I'll be consecrated to the Lord. If I never have desire for a wife, then I guess I'm not supposed to have a wife. But let me tell you what I'm never going to do. I'm never going to act on this desire because I know it's sin. I will be celibate, and I will be sexually pure, and I will just serve the Lord. I don't know many heterosexual young men ever made that commitment. I don't know any. Now, there's some that are doing it, but I'm just talking about hopefully they've made that commitment. But, but so, see, we, we better be sure we understand with, with our arrogance and our pride that every one of us is going to come to Jesus the same way, and that's through that cross. At the foot of the cross, everybody's equal. Nobody is going to strut into heaven, another Adrian Rogers quote. So Uzziah could not handle success. Success handled him. And this is that thing that has haunted a lot of my brothers in, in my inner, inner circle. We've been talking about this a lot. This keeps coming up in this book. Satan is patient. Sometimes he'll wait 40 years if it takes waiting 40 years. He will wait. So Uzziah came out of the gate strong. But you know what Satan said? I can't get him for 40 years, so I'll wait. I'll wait 40 years. So he said we don't ever get to the point where we think we've arrived and that somehow we can leave the authority of Jesus Christ or somehow we can stop our brokenness and think, man, I think I, think I made it. Satan's willing to wait for us to say that one thing. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. And, and, and I've talked to men before that I can tell that the reason why they're not involved in a Bible study, the reason why they're, that, that, that they're not doing anything beyond what they've always done because they think they're good. I've done it. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. I've been justified. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know about pretty good. I'm good. I don't do really bad things. I'm, I'm a good, good guy. Do you realize the arrogance of that statement? I mean, so, so you don't struggle with anything. I mean, so you've gotten to the point that you, hey, you've got it figured out. Is anybody ready to say that or believe that anybody can really say that? 
I mean, when, when, when we talked about this before, when Billy Graham is, is got scripture written in gigantic letters all over his house, when he's got to where he can't see anymore and he's still memorizing scripture. So Billy Graham is still memorizing scripture at the end of his life, but you're good. Oh, you got it. I actually heard a guy say one time that his testimony was that he believed in Jesus when he was 12, and he's been good ever since. And, of course, I wanted to know what his plan of action was. I thought, well, maybe that's true. But then I got into his life, and I realized he sparsely attends church. He doesn't know that much about the Bible, except some of the basics. And he's never been in a Bible study that I could document. So I'm going to go ahead and go out on the limb that say that, that if he hasn't done anything since the day he went down and got baptized at 12 in some church attendance and a Sunday school class every now and then, I'm going to bet that he hasn't arrived because I don't think that's possible. But why is Paul straining and pressing on? So, so you don't need to, but Paul does? I mean, Paul says, I have not achieved it yet, but you have? What an arrogant statement. And I bet you that person would tell me they don't struggle with pride. Do you struggle with pride? Nah. I'm good. <laughs> I, I really think because there's nothing more prideful as we said to think, hey, I struggle with pride. I absolutely do. And reading this chapter, I was, I was looking at it going, man, I got work to do. I, I got a lot of things I got to look at in my life just from going through this. And I, so I can handle whatever God uh, puts out there for me and, and so I don't uh, uh, collapse like Uzziah did. His heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar of incense. So keep in mind, Uzziah now wanted to usurp the role of the priest. He was not allowed by God's law to do this, but he charged in anyway. Why? He was blinded by pride. And see, when you're blinded by pride, what happens next will also happen to you and me. The priest come up to him and say, hey, Uzziah, don't do this. See, if you're not blind, you might get that far and you go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Thank you. What was I do? Was I really about to burn incense? You got the censer in your hand. You can't bust up in here in the temple and do this. You know that. So some of us may can get to that point, but, but, but don't get to the point that when they come to you, an accountability, some guy pulls you off to the side or your wife pulls you off to the side and says, hey, you're not supposed to do this. <coughs> It's okay to say, gosh, thank you. I am so... See, that, that's, that's humble. To recognize pride. To recognize... But let me tell you what's, what lacks humility is to be enraged when somebody tries to hold you accountable, which is what Uzziah did. It says he was enraged. You know these people? The scoffers. The Bible calls them scoffers. Here's, let me tell you this, and, right, and this is something that God gave me, and, and, I, and, and, and maybe I got it. I don't know where I got it from, so I don't be prideful about this. But this hit me because I've been through this on being held accountable and holding other people accountable. Humility is when you go to someone and say, you have sinned, but so have I. I understand sin because I certainly have sinned. I'm letting you know that you're in sin right now, but I want you to know I've also sinned. Arrogance is when somebody holds you accountable and you say, I have sinned, but so have you. See, that's arrogance. You ever met those kind of people? If you go and try to hold them accountable about anything, they're going to start pushing back to you everything you ever did or everything anybody else ever did. Or they'll start comparing their sins to other people. Let me tell you what we should never do is minimize sin. Ever. 
Don't ever minimize sin. And the response to somebody holding you accountable about your sin is not to talk about their sin. Now, when you go hold somebody accountable, you can talk about your sin to say, look, I'm not saying I'm any better than you. We're held to the same standard. I've made this mistake and you're making it now. Or maybe you're making this mistake. I've made that mistake. You know, this, I'm not being sanctimonious. I'm not being self-righteous. I'm just holding you accountable because I love you. But I know a lot of people like Uzziah, you hold them accountable, they'll make fun of it. You know this guy. Hey, man, I got to talk to you about, I don't really think the way what you said to our secretary, that's, that's not appropriate. Instead of, hey, thank you. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. You're right. That's a great point. Should I go apologize? Let me apologize to you. But you know what the scoffer does, the Uzziahs of the world do? Ooh, everybody back away. Everybody get away from me. I, I, I might rape one of the secretaries. Uh, hey, don't let your wife get around me, right? Because I can't handle it. They make fun of it. They scoff. And see, that's not, that's not a person who's repentant. That's a prideful, arrogant person who scoffs at accountability. And Uzziah became enraged. I love when Farrar said, and I agree with him, he said, I believe if Uzziah would have said, I am so sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking. Thank you for giving me clarity in this moment. I can't believe what I've become. Forgive me, Lord, for desecrating your temple. Forgive me, Lord, for attempting to go burn the incense and usurp the priest. Please, Lord, forgive me that God would have forgiven him right where he was. But he didn't. He scoffed and he was enraged. I love C.S. Lewis again. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats away the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. It takes them all away. When you become consumed by the cancer of pride, you don't know how to love, you're not content with anything, and you've lost all common sense. It's pretty straightforward, Uzziah, that you're not supposed to be doing this. We all know you shouldn't be doing this, and you know you shouldn't be doing this. But I'm king, and I want to be priest too. And nobody's going to tell me any different. No common sense, no love, and zero contentment with what he already had. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this prayer. And if Martin Lloyd-Jones had to pray this every day, I bet we do. He said, I pray this every day. Lord, keep me from pride. Every day. Lord, keep me from pride. Farrar says he's added to that, which I thought was good. He said he prays this, Lord, keep me from pride. Help me to recognize it. Help me to be aware of it. Help me not to be dazzled by it, seduced by it, and intoxicated by it. So he said, I went a little further because he said, I need more work than Martin Lloyd-Jones needed. You know, he said, don't, don't just protect me from pride. Don't even let me have a desire for the things that the pride loves. Don't let me be intoxicated by applause. Don't let me be intoxicated by recognition. Don't let me be intoxicated by getting special treatment. Don't let me be intoxicated by wealth. Don't let me be intoxicated by fame. You know, that's why a lot of pastors who become famous fail. They can't handle the accolades. It's, it's one of the things I love about my pastor. He doesn't want to be a celebrity. And, and, and too many do. And, and if that becomes the push, and that becomes the goal, then now you've lost. Why you, now, now, if you start getting recognized, I mean, Billy Graham was recognized, but he remained humble. So it's okay to be recognized, but, but if that can't be the goal, that can't be everything you're doing. I'm going to put out this message because people will talk about it and put it on social media. I bet I'll get a couple of quotes out of it, put it out on Twitter. People will recognize me. Hey, could you retweet this? This, this, this thing God showed me? 
Now, and if that's your motivation, then, then, that, then that's arrogant and pride. He said, Lord, keep me from pride. He says, encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3.13, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's some symptoms of pride. The Uzziah knew better. Symptoms of pride, arrogance, a haughty spirit to think too high of ourselves and expect privilege. I will be priest and I will be king. Another sign of pride, an aversion to accountability. Just what I talked about. You scoff at accountability. You become enraged at accountability. If somebody remotely suggests that you've done something wrong, you treat everything like it's from a Pharisee when sometimes it's just from a brother or a sister. Every time somebody says you've done something wrong, don't play the Pharisee card. Don't play the legalism card. There's certainly some of that out there, but you've got to be able to recognize and be humble enough to say this is true accountability. This isn't a person being a Pharisee. This isn't a person being self-righteous. This isn't a person being legalistic. This is a person that's just pointing to biblical truth, and I'm out of line with it. Know the difference, and don't think all of it is the former. Consider that some of it is the latter. And then, the, and then you, you think about this. Verse 19, but Uzziah with a censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged. And we talked about the accountability that he would not. Now let's talk about what might have happened. He could have been repented. He could have been reconciled, but he didn't. We see that. And then when he went and went to burn the incense, what happened? The results of disobedience, leprosy. Leprosy began to break out on his face immediately. And here are the results of him not listening. Number one, leprosy. Number two, now because I'm a leper, I'm living in quarantine. No more servants. No more chariots. No more palace. Now I'm in quarantine. That's how he died. Cut off from the temple. Hey, not only did you not get to burn incense, you were welcome here at the temple. Now you can't go to the temple at all because you're a leper. And then the last one, this is really it, and we'll leave on this. Buried near the kings, but not with them. Buried near the kings, but not with the kings. Why? Verse 27, Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in a field that belonged to the kings. For the people said about Uzziah, think of all the things he thought he was going to be remembered for. This is important, guys, on the way out. But what was he remembered for? He had leprosy. That's it. That's his legacy. Of all the things he did, because of his disobedience, his arrogance, and his pride, because he did not finish well, his legacy is he's a leper. You know, he burned, he tried to go in and burn that incense. Hey, but you know, he had some victories. Yeah, but I don't I don't know what you're talking about, but I know he's the one that went to the temple and tried to God gave him leprosy. And you say, Well, Rick, how's that apply today? Y'all know it. Hey, man, I'll tell you who I like is oh, so-and-so. Yeah. You know he left his wife. What? Yeah, cheated on her with a secretary. You talking about the pastor cheated on his, his wife? No, no, I'm talking about the one that wrote that great book. Oh, no, he, the last thing we heard from him, he cheated on his wife. Oh, you're talking about the one that went with the prostitute? Well, no. You talk, hey, you know, so-and-so, man, he had the men's ministry over. No, no, you know what happened to him, don't you? No. Oh, yeah. He got caught stealing from the church. Uh, he, he got caught. What? What? He was stealing from his company. And then that becomes the label. 
See, that's why finishing well and finishing strong is important. Because you, the legacy we want to leave is he was devout to the Lord God Almighty all the way through. Not being remembered from your compromise of the Lord. So this lesson today, be careful with success. Be careful with pride. Because it can be something that can be, success can be a great platform for the Lord, but it can also be used by Satan, who is patient, to tear us down. To tear us down. Don't let your legacy be. He was the one that had leprosy. You're talking about that guy? Let's pray. Lord, thank you very much for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the challenge. I pray, Lord, that your hand be upon everybody represented in this room and to everyone who's listening today. If something in the Holy Spirit has prompted correction in our lives, that we don't just wait till that passes. We act on it and repent of the sins that may still be in our lives. Protect us as we were just taught to pray. Protect us from pride. Don't allow us to be consumed by it. Don't let us ever get to the point that we think that we've accomplished anything that you didn't allow or mandate. And may the glory be yours, not ours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.